Hello and welcome to the first Investment Week podcast of 2016, where we'll review the biggest investment news stories that rocked markets in 2015 and discuss the outlook and expectations for the coming year. I'm your host, Anna Fedorova. I am the news editor of Investment Week. Investment Week has been the premier publication serving professional investors in the UK since 1995. You can find out more about us by visiting www.investmentweek.co.uk. In this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Investment Week's editorial team to discuss the key issues we have been writing about over the past 12 months and look at what experts are expecting to see this year. Markets had a rocky start to 2016, with the Chinese market experiencing significant falls, which reverberated across the globe. Now, China has been a major worry for investors throughout last year as well, but is this likely to continue or escalate throughout this year? Meanwhile, we'll also look in detail at the fixed income markets and the way investors have chosen to allocate to this difficult space. And at the end of the podcast, we will discuss the economic situation in the US and its significance for investors. Firstly, I turn to Laura Dew, Investment Week's Deputy News Editor, to discuss the market turbulence we have seen as we entered the new year. Thanks for joining me, Laura. So, what's been happening and how long is this likely to persist? Well, last year, many people would have been hoping to see a positive start to the year. The start of 2016 has actually been a volatile time for markets, with the indices seeing their worst ever open thanks to the drama in China. Following last summer's Black Monday scenario, when the Chinese markets fell by more than 8.5%, the Chinese government installed a circuit breaker, which would shut the market if it fell by more than 7%. Although the government had good intentions, the market ended up being closed twice in the first week of trading, once after less than 30 minutes, which prompted the government to scrap the circuit breaker. According to Hargreaves Lansdowne Head of Investment Research, Mark Dampier, if the circuit breaker had been in use during 2015, it would have been triggered more than 20 times. However, the closure was too late for global markets who had already seen their indices take a battering. On the first day of trading, the FTSE was down 3%, the Dow Jones was down 2%, the German DAX was down 4.2% and the Nikkei was down 3%. The volatility continued throughout the week with the FTSE trading below 6,000 and although it is trading in positive territory now, for many the damage is already done. The so-called January effect suggests that markets will end the year negatively if January ends negatively, so investors will be hoping that the market picks up soon. But economists at RBS have predicted that 2016 will be a cataclysmic year. Likening it to the fall of Lehman Brothers, the firms warned investors should sell everything. And what's the outlook for China in this context then? What are the experts saying? There has been no let up for China with manufacturing data coming in weaker than expected. Manufacturing fell at a faster rate in December amid concerns that global demand is slowing and the country is transitioning to a service-led economy. The industry is divided between those who are expecting a hard landing in the world's second largest economy and those who feel it has the potential to surprise on the upside. A devaluation by the Renimbi, though, could lead to global deflation and recession, according to Sockgen's permabear, Albert Edwards. It could also lead to the S&P 500 falling by as much as 75%. Gareth Lewis, Chief Investment Officer of Tilney Vest Invest, said the weakening economy and depreciation currency would increase deflationary pressure and put extra stress on emerging markets and Asian economies. He felt a hard landing was inevitable and one of the biggest threats reflecting the global economy at the moment, but he expected China would utilise various stimuli, such as interest rate cuts, to delay it from happening. 
Alex Wolfe, emerging markets economist at Standard Life Investments, said that while he did not think there would be a hard landing, he felt the leadership would struggle to enact reforms quickly enough, particularly regarding issues such as corporate governance. And these issues have been affecting the FTSE as well, haven't they? So what has been happening and what should investors watch out for? Looking at the FTSE, which is already down 5% since the start of the year, people will be hoping the good Christmas sales boost the shares of companies such as supermarkets and retailers. It will also be hoping for a rise in the oil price, which will boost the share price of commodities firms such as oil companies Royal Dutch Shell and BP, and miners such as BHP Billiton and Rio Tinto, which make up a large part of the index. Lastly, it will be hoping for a drop in the number of profit warnings. There were over 200 profit warnings last year from UK-listed companies such as Rolls-Royce, Pearson Mm. and Standard Chartered, and their respective share prices fell by as much as 15%. So big falls then, but how could this be a buying opportunity for stock pickers? For some, the downturn presents a buying opportunity. Sigma's CIO, Tom Beckett, has already moved from underweight to neutral in emerging markets and says he is considering going overweight in emerging markets for the first time since 2011, driven by the attractive valuations in Asia. On the FTSE 100, the treat valuations of companies such as miners presents an opportunity to buy mega-cap companies at low prices. However, there's no denying that the oil price is continuing to fall. It is currently trading below $30, and investors will have to be wary of how much further there is to go. Thanks for that, Laura. Now we go over to Jane Arana, our asset management correspondent, to talk about bonds and the outlook following the recent sell-off and high yield. So can you remind us what happened? Sure. So high-yield bonds, or junk bonds, mainly in the US, were hit really hard in Q3. A combination of falling commodity prices and the prospect of an interest rate hike made a lot of people panic because generally when liquidity dries up and investors start scaling back, it's the riskiest investments such as high-yield bonds that tend to suffer first. So naturally, we saw a lot of outflows in the sector. And um, how have investors reacted? It's a vicious cycle. People pull their money out, prices fall. Companies panic, more people panic. They pull more money out and prices fall further and so on. US firm Third Avenue Management, for example, they lost almost a billion dollars over the last 12 months, so imposed a freeze on their high-yield bond fund in December, which caused even billionaire activist investor and hedge fund manager Carl Icahn to tweet that a market meltdown had begun. Overall, high-yield bonds had fallen to their lowest level since 2009. So what's the outlook for 2016 then? There's a mix of opinions on how the next 12 months will pan out. Many investors are staying well away from junk bonds. Lion Trust's Michael Mabbott says the yields are not worth the risks, while David Krull from Nomura thinks high yield has become far too cheap. It's just not stable. Some are just staying away from the riskier corners of high yield, that's energy and emerging markets. Mm. Royal London's Azar Hussein is staying underweight in these areas. And then low absolute yield could become somewhat of an issue for investment-grade credit because it limits spread compression, which is especially true for well-rated issuers. Total return on this segment is highly sensitive to the German bonds volatility Mm. and negative total return is the catalyst for outflows to start. Since June, most weeks have seen net outflows. In America, companies are issuing on the Euro IG market, drawn in by advantageous credit conditions. Last year, the US was the largest issuer on the Eurozone corporate bond markets by country. Companies accounted for almost 25% of all Euro-denominated corporate bond issuance, a trend which is set to continue and could have a negative impact on spread. On the positive side, Amundi says appetite for credit should persist in the face of low sovereign rates. 20% of the entire Eurozone fixed income market 
is offering negative yield and a remarkable 30% of debt is close to zero. The yield dynamic should be more favourable to high yield and, to a lesser extent, triple B issuers. So could the sell-off spread to other asset classes then? So one of Amundi's main concerns at this stage is the contagion from US credit outflows to Euro credit, especially in the high yield segment. High yield and, to a lesser extent, investment grade credit recorded huge outflows over the last weeks of 2015, mainly because of contagion from US high yield. However, we have to keep in mind that the fundamental picture is completely different. US high yield has a substantial exposure to the energy sector and the leverage for US companies is now at its highest point over the past decade. And how can investors protect themselves? Again, a very mixed response. Hector Kilpatrick from Cornelian Asset Management says the only real diversifiers to this risk is cash or near cash. The next best are strategic bond funds and absolute return funds. Some investors are going for floating rate or short duration funds because they are worried about the impact of rising interest rates. Others are opting for esoteric bond investments such as mortgages, RMBS, that's residential mortgage-backed securities. That's why 24 Asset Management has been so popular. These types of vehicles tend to offer better yields than gilts and even highly rated corporate mm. bonds. A surprising route is into the bond ETF market. This space has seen quite a few launches, especially in various corporate bond ETFs, but some have disputed how safe this space is. Not all investors are convinced that a passive approach to bond investing is the best idea. Thank you for that, Janum. For the last section, I have Dan Flynn joining us, um, Senior Asset Management Correspondent at Investment Week. Um, so we're going to speak about the US um, economy. So, Dan, how has the US economy fared since the Federal Reserve raised rates in December? Uh, the US has had a difficult start to 2016 so far. First, we saw the release of the country's weakest manufacturing mm. data in six years. The Institute for Supply Management's monthly manufacturing index, which monitors the performance of more than 300 manufacturing firms, fell to 48.3 in December. Readings under 50 indicate that more companies are shrinking, while those over 50 indicate the opposite. Conversely, the ISM's index reading for non-manufacturing companies came in at 55.3, creating the widest gap between the manufacturing and non-manufacturing indices since 2010. Mm. Falling oil prices have also weighed on investor sentiment, reaching a 12-year low of less than $30 a barrel. Although America is by nature a very domestic-focused economy, Another factor with the potential to damage is the slowdown of growth in China, Mm. a story which carried through last year and continues to haunt markets in 2016. It even led Fed Chair Janet Yellen to delay a rise to interest rates in September. The fault of the investors' minds is likely to be how these factors will affect US interest rates, which rose for the first time for Mm. 10 years in December by 25 basis points. Markets welcomed the heavily anticipated rise and the Fed quickly announced its intentions to introduce a further four quarter point increases, ultimately hoping to achieve rates of 1.375% by the end of 2016. And does this plan to achieve four quarter point rises this year seem a little too optimistic then? Julian Chillingworth, Chief Investment Officer at Rathbones, believes so predicting that the number of rate rises in 2016 lies between market estimates of two and the Fed's prediction of four. He said the US's strong services sector 
which has been growing and represents between 80 and 90% of the country's economy, offsets weak manufacturing data. He added that the potential damage of low oil prices has been softened by the positive effect they bring to investor sentiment, with low petroleum prices increasing disposable income. He said that because the US is coming off a low base, recovery was always going to involve a degree of halting and is realistically going to take a number of years. Chillingworth believes the Fed is more concerned with ensuring it has the right monthly levers to pull in the event of a further slowdown in its economy. For example, if the central bank can get rates moving upwards and also have the ability to cut them if need be, it will have a greater flexibility than granted by one-stop QE policy. Neil Williams, Group Chief Economist at Hermes Investment Management, also believes the Fed is being ambitious. Mm. He expects the central bank to leave rates unchanged in the first quarter of 2016, while it waits for markets to settle, before subsequently introducing a one-quarter point rate rise per quarter for the rest of the year, creating a total of three rises. He said, I think the US is resilient enough this year to take small steps towards notching interest rates up. However, it is important to remember that they will peak out at a far lower level than we are used to. At this stage, the rate setters expect 3.5% a couple of years down the line, way below the peak rates of around 5% we are used to. And how is unemployment and wage growth affecting US interest rates? Gary Potter, co-head of BMO, Global Asset Management's multi-manager team, said that even if the Fed raises rates, the monetary policy backdrop in the country remained loose relative to its historical context. He said that unemployment has fallen in the US to a level which is finally feeding through to the higher wages, strong enough wages to justify the Fed raising rates from a level still set in the midst of a financial and economic crisis. The US economy finished the year by adding 292,000 mm. new jobs, leaving the unemployment rate held steady at 5%. This exceeded the expectations of economists and investors while reinforcing the resiliency of the labour market. And what about the US elections coming up? Are they likely to affect uh, affect investor sentiment uh, as well this year? The US presidential elections, which are set to take place on the 8th of November, are seen by many investors as a factor which will have the ability to influence US markets in 2016, potentially leading to volatility. Julian Chillingworth said that if an extreme candidate such as Donald Trump runs for a Mm. candidacy, the US market and markets around the world will get worried. However, he added that if less divisive candidates such as Hillary Clinton and Ted Cruz end up opposed to each other, then investor confidence will be less affected. Matt Lindsay, managing partner at South Capital, who run an emerging market equity strategy for GAM, said that while it is not yet certain that Donald Trump will win the Republican nomination, he has suggested a number of protectionist measures that would impact the emerging markets if introduced, and has already started to worry investors. He added that regardless of who wins the election, he is expecting a significant investment in infrastructure throughout 2016, particularly if there is a slowdown in US economic growth, given that monetary policy has reached what he believes is a point of exhaustion. Um, And lastly, what does this mean for investors in US equities? Investors remain wary over a difficult 2015, and a difficult start to this year has not helped. Investors are still finding plenty of high-quality growth companies in the region, however. 
Despite 2016 remaining a hard year to make money, good stock picking in the country will prevail. Given the slump in the commodities and manufacturing sectors, popular choices for investors seem to be biotechnology, a favourite of Neil Woodford, and consumer discretionary. While there is no denying that US equities are not the most popular investors at the moment, they are definitely worth keeping an eye on. Thanks for that, Dan. That's all we have time for today. We would love to hear your comments and ideas for future podcasts if there are any particular topics you would like us to cover. You can contact me via email at anna.fedorova, that's F-E-D-O-R-O-V-A, at incisivemedia.com. Thank you for listening.